teens ages 13 to 18 are twice as likely to say that they are an atheist. But why is anyone labeling themselves as an atheist? Well, we look at some reasons why in this episode of The Unapologetic Show. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we make the case for why Christianity still makes sense in a world of doubt with near-apostate and now pastor and apologist Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. These are reasons that we think people are atheists, but let us know in the comments of this video if we missed any. And boy, did the comment section get some love in our first video that we did in this grouping, where we kind of laid the groundwork for this conversation, and that's in last week's episode. You can check that out on our YouTube channel or click the link in the description to watch that. It's important to note that these are not necessarily arguments that atheists give for their position, nor are we answering each one of these. These are objections that Bobby and I have seen people make over several years of conversation and research. So, Bobby, let's dive in to our seventh, but our, our first one in this episode, and that some people uh, have intellectual hang-ups regarding all things God. Unpack this a little bit for us. No doubt. I mean, we obviously uh, have heard a whole litany of objections uh, from the new atheists uh, that had a, a big move, uh, in particular after 9-11, and they had a strong run for a good decade to a decade and a half. Uh, they're diminishing in their influence, but they were very vitriolic uh, and incendiary in their language as it relates to God, yeah. uh, trying to make people feel intellectually stupid uh, for believing in God. And so sometimes people who have these intellectual hangups with God, they could have developed these on the home front. They could have picked them up at school or through a book that they read. I remember years ago, um, a guy that was a young man went off to college. Uh, I was his pastor for several years and he got a hold of some of the new atheist writings. And I think it was the God delusion, if my memory serves me correctly, with Richard Dawkins. And we talked on the phone and I could not believe what happened to this kind, humble uh, young man that, you know, we all just thought was such a super nice guy. Yeah. And the arrogance that he had on the phone and the self-assurance and how he just wanted to let me know that we've been duped. And he ended up becoming an apostate uh, oh. because of intellectual hangups that he picked up while reading uh, Dawkins. And, uh, you know, that really got a hold of his life. And I think one of the dangers of that, especially um, when people are young, they can read like one book. Uh, and because they're often zealous when they're young, uh, they commit to a, you know, a particular viewpoint really early and get mm. zealous about it. But it's really not a well thought out view that they get passionate about. And so then Later, they choke on that particular view. And so it's important that we realize that people do have hangups intellectually as it relates to God. I mean, Richard Dawkins, uh, he said, I am against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. And I don't really understand where he even gets that. Like, see, that's a, 
um, rhetorical statement, right, that he can say, people can read that. And then what happens is they go put this stuff out on the internet. But Tim, you know, as well as I do, I mean, I don't know um, any apologists or philosophical Christians that don't want to understand the world. I mean, they do want to understand the world. And so I think about people who are involved um, you know, in studying intelligent design, or you think about William Lane Craig and um, all of his work as it relates to the cosmological argument. And um, I mean, these people want to understand the nature of the world. And so I don't think that that is something that is antithetical. And I think that's what will lead us into our next next point. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, again, our, our next point here is talking about science, but a scientist would say that, like, you know, there was an old phrase that uh, science is, you know, kind of thinking God's thoughts after him. We're, we're investigating the world. But as you said, our, our next objection or next reason that people give is that some people think that God and science are incompatible. And I, I guess when I, when I kind of contemplate this, I'm thinking about a lot of the answers that people gave throughout history of God, you know, as, as a um, explanation for things have now been kind of solved by science in a sense, you know, the origin of, uh, you know, humans or uh, the creation in general or things like lightning or earthquakes, they're all equated with God. And it's like, well, now we have science and they've kind of figured those out. So uh, unpack this a little bit more for us, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so true. It's like you have, you know, Newton and you've got uh, Kepler uh, you've got all these great thinkers like Robert Boyle uh, that would, you know, ponder God and believe that their belief in God would help them to even detect and unlock some of the laws. But it's as if now, um, you know, science um, and those who are really committed to scientism, that's the kind of real place that I drive where they think science can answer everything. It's like they just want to pick up on uh, where, where these theologians and philosophers and scientists have left off in the past and just say their findings are, you know, not really relevant to us. We, we could have done all that without God. And had they lived today, they wouldn't have believed in God either, which is kind of a, um, you know, that's a that's a big uh projection onto the past. We don't know what they would have believed. Uh, but nevertheless, some people do think that God and science are incompatible. And uh, this is a sad narrative as well. I mean, it is swept across uh, the internet by atheistic zealots. And let me say this, uh, not all atheists are, uh, you know, as dogmatic in their presentation and, uh, you know, rough spirited, like we've seen with the new atheists, there's lots of them that are very fair minded and they recognize the contribution that Christianity has made. So I want to make sure that I do state that. But unfortunately, uh, that idea that faith in science are incompatible or God and science are incompatible, uh, that's a common narrative. In fact, I'm thinking about uh, a gentleman that was going to our church for a long time, Tim, uh, and he would wait for me after uh, my message a lot, a young guy, and he came up to me and he said, you know, I'm really struggling with Christianity uh, because I'm a science guy. And I really feel like I'm having a hard time putting Christianity together with science. And nevertheless, uh, we had an opportunity to discuss more. But we had to push in and let people, when they bring that objection up, know that uh, faith in God and uh, science are not at odds, right? And right. so Alvin Plantinga in his book, Where the Conflict uh, Really Lies, states there is a superficial conflict 
but deep concord between science and theistic religion, but superficial concord and deep conflict between science and naturalism. And so one of the things that Plantinga talks about uh, in his book, Where the Conflict Really Lies, is there is no conflict, right, in the sense of uh, having Christianity or, you know, let's just step it out even further, theistic religion uh, and science come together. And why is that? Because at least on theism, you have an explanation for the cognitive faculties that we have that help us to interpret the world of science. But science uh, and naturalism just pairing those together, uh, how do they come up with a good cognitive explanation based on uh, their explanation that helps them to understand how to explain the process by which we have emerged. And so those aren't scientific questions, right? Um, This gets into philosophy and theology has answers to why it is that we're made the way that we are. So I think uh, even science looking at it this way, some atheists, um, you know, they're more vitriolic than others, as I've said, but the whole idea that nothing came from nothing and made something, um, that we have evolved over millions of years. Uh, And you think about the universe today, we know that the universe had a beginning. uh, And that is encouraging, right? And the universe uh, is basically expanding. And so that's wonderful. The question is, where did it come from? Because when you think about the second law of thermodynamics, we know the universe is running out of usable energy. We know that the universe is expanding, that if you could rewind that process, you'd come back to a singularity. So that's good. So what better explains, uh, you know, the beginning of the universe? Uh, You know, a personal, powerful, all-knowing being or, you know, just nothing. And I think that that is something that's really difficult. And I think when you think of it um, like that, Obviously, theism um, offers a better explanation for how the universe came into being because you have a God who created it. And it's funny that we get looked at as if this is uh, so unintelligent to believe that. Yeah, and I remember uh, one of the kind of the the myths that has been floating around for a long time now is that, like, the uh, you know the execution of scientists in the you know past by by the church right so any like oh you know the um, the the sun is actually not the the sun is the center of our universe or the center of our solar system not the earth that guy's dead right but I know that Tim O'Neill over at uh, History for Atheists who is himself an atheist has done some work to kind of debunk some of these myths and that's not really the case. Well, I want to remind our audience that this is a listener-supported show. If you would like to uh, donate or support this show, you can do so at oneminuteapologist.com slash form. And we would invite you to head on over to our YouTube channel where we have a playlist of over a hundred unapologetic episodes that you can check out while you're there. Check out this video, hit that little like, uh, thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, and share this with your network. It really helps us out. So let's jump into our, our next one, our ninth one here, our third one for this episode, is that some people uh, don't want to be morally boxed in. Now, I I think as I'm thinking about this, I don't think people often say that outright. They want to be like, well, I don't want to be, you know, boxed in morally. But I think we can, you know, kind of deduce it from their actions. It's kind of an implied thing from their actions. Talk to us a little bit more about this. Yeah, Tim, I mean, this is, uh, 
you know, something that Christianity, I think in, on one front, it offers us a, a moral grounding. Uh, that is that we can ground, um, you know, our beliefs about right and wrong and the good nature of God. Uh, absent or bereft of that, um, you know, you have to wonder what are we going to do to ground morality if you're going to say that morality is objective? And to be objective means that it is right or wrong, independent of whether or not you think it is right or wrong. And so you have kind of a grounding option of, you know, God. Uh, you could look at Platonism. So you do have like atheistic moral Platonists who would ground morality uh, in kind of the abstract realm of Platonic, uh, you know, uh, virtue, so to speak, like an Eric Wheelingberg. Uh, but I don't think that that is uh, nearly as strong as what theism would offer. Uh, but then if you if you don't have a way to ground morality, then you're going to ground it in yourself and then you're going to have subjective morality. And so then you end up with uh, people like a Frederick Nietzsche. Right now I'm reading his uh, book, the uh, Antichrist, uh, which he wrote, wrote in 1895, kind of went mad in 1888, uh, died in 1900. And uh, he writes this book and it's just his ravings against the church and his ravings against, you know, the moral uh, structures that the church erected to control, you know, the herd, uh, you know, and he talks about this idea of the herd morality. And so he's like, you know, you got to pull up your own bootstraps and, you know, you got a will to power. You got to, you know, create your own kind of destiny, so to speak. And I think a lot of people, you know, he's kind of the father of uh, post-modernity as it relates to philosophy. And so people would pick up on that. And it really leads to individualism, subjective morality, casting off, you know, religion. And you can see how that is definitely floated through our uh, culture. Thomas Nagel in his uh, piece, The Last Word, says, it isn't just that I don't believe in God, it's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. Uh, well, why not? Uh, because God kind of encroaches on our, you know, moral desires. Uh, he, he holds us accountable. There's guilt that comes along with it. Yeah. Christopher Hitchens says, religion is not the belief there is a God. Religion is the belief that God tells you what to do. So you could see his just drastic statements, right? He, but he doesn't want to be told what to do. And so I would say that morality um, is something that we can ground in God as Christians, but those that don't believe in God as atheists, they can struggle because they want to be able to set their own moral terms. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right there. Uh, so let's jump to our, our next one here, and, and that is that some people have emotional reasons for rejecting God. What, what are some of these emotional reasons that people reject God, Bobby? Uh, a lot of it is just the, the world of suffering that we live in, right? So a lot of times people can start off, you know, hey, I'm excited about God, like in the parable of the sower where the seed falls on different soils. Well, on one of the soils it falls on, you know, a person starts off, they're excited, but then troubles come to their life. And then they're yeah. like, I'm out of here. So people have a hard time reconciling how God can be good and yet uh, all powerful, and then there's suffering in the world. And so Bart Ehrman, he's the one um, that is now a distinguished professor at UNC Chapel Hill, who is an apostate, and he walked away from the faith. And though he's a, a Greek New Testament scholar, uh, he walked away not on intellectual reasons, but on the emotional problem of suffering and evil. He thought 
if there's a God out there, why doesn't he intervene? Well, Bobby, that reminds me of this Bart Ehrman quote that we have in our notes. I want to go ahead and read it for our audience. Uh, Bart Ehrman pens this, If there is an all-powerful and loving God in this world, why is there so much excruciating pain and unspeakable suffering? The problem of suffering has haunted me for a very long time. It was what made me begin to think about religion when I was young and It was what led me to question my faith when I was older. Ultimately, it was the reason I lost my faith. Bobby, do you want to comment any more on Bart Ehrman's words there? I mean, it's really just, it's sad, you know, and I think that uh, he's a bright guy. I I, I hate that he walked away on this. I do think that uh, when you look at the history of the world, it's true. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of suffering. I mean, I, it's unimaginable the amount of suffering. It's just that the problem of suffering, though it's a, a really hard emotional punch, it doesn't equate to, you know, God not existing or God not being good or God not being all powerful. I mean, there are reasons uh, that we cannot always understand for why God allows certain things to happen. And I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot that I could say right here. uh, And I don't want to, you know, go into a a defense of this. I just want to kind of raise some of the objections that are brought out. But I would say that, you know, there are also people who have been through a lot more uh, difficulties uh, than airmen. And a lot of times what happens to it, it's sometimes, Tim, it's people that haven't been through the ringer, but it's like, you know, maybe us from more of our comfortable pockets, just being overcome by the pain and hurt in the world, which is understandable. But then there are those who have been through unthinkable uh, horrors only to come out singing God's praises and believing in him. And there are those who, you know, shake their fists at him. So I think that, uh, you know, it, you can, ha- it's a perspective thing, Tim, but there's nothing um, as it would relate to logically that would explain away the goodness of God or the omnipotence of God because of suffering and evil in the world. We can give explanations for those. And we have at different times. Yeah, and we've done several episodes on that that problem of evil. So, uh, like you said, we won't dive into it here. Let's go on to our next reason that atheists give. And I think this one for me is the one, probably the one that I maybe see the most uh, from atheists. It even showed up in the comments of our last episode. And it is that some people think there isn't enough evidence to believe in God. So, let's talk about evidence and what people yeah. say about this. Yeah, I mean, the famed philosopher and mathematician of the last century, Bertrand Russell, was once asked, what would you say if you were to die and, you know, find out that God exists and you were to stand in his presence? Because, you know, he was arguably, uh, you know, the most famous atheist of the, you know, last century. And some uh, someone shared how Russell replied by saying, I would say to God, not enough evidence, not enough evidence. If God was to say, why didn't you believe? Right. And so if he finds out that there's a, a God and standing before him and God's like, why don't you believe? He would say there wasn't enough evidence. Uh, you know, it, again, there are people that make this argument that there's not enough evidence. Uh, it It's a perspective thing for me. I look at and I see signs of God's. Uh, existence everywhere, uh, from um, from DNA, from creation, to my moral conscience, to circumstances, to prayer. Um, 
through providential leading. Uh, there's been so many lines of um, evidence that I can look at through history, uh, religious experience. Uh, and again, anybody can jump in and pick a single point apart that I'm saying. I'm not trying to make a tight, comprehensive case. I'm just saying there's just as people can say there's no evidence, there is plenty of evidence that people can offer, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the beginning of the universe. Um, there is lots that we can look at. And so I think that just kind of coming up and saying, hey, there's not enough evidence to believe. I mean, for me, like my perspective is there's not enough evidence for me to, you know, believe in atheism. Uh, I mean, I, 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 that to me, it's almost unthinkable. I don't even get it. It's like, how in the world can you believe nothing took nothing and made something? Right. Um, why do you even trust your, your will and your reason and your moral, all that stuff? It just doesn't even make sense to me whatsoever. But there are atheists who say, well, and neither does Christianity. And I go, well, we got a pickle at times, right? Right, right. Well, yeah. And again, this is something that we could probably talk about for a long time, but we got to move on. So we got our last one here uh, and, and maybe the last two remaining minutes. Uh, let's talk about this idea that some people don't believe in God because of broken relationships with their father. Talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah. I mean, because you think about that, you become a, you know, a Christian. And if you had a broken relationship with your father, it can be hard to connect with God as father. And you know, Paul Vitz, uh, he wrote an uh, interesting book. Uh, he was a Freudian trained psychologist, but it was called The Faith of the Fatherless. And Vitz looks um, at the lives of famous atheist uh, fathers who died early, people like, uh, you know, Nietzsche and Hume and Russell and Sartre and Camus and Schopenhauer. And then he looks at the abusive and weak fathers of um, Thomas Hobbes, uh, Voltaire, uh, and others uh, like Forbach, uh, Samuel Butler. And what's interesting is he provides this horse historical vignette of each figure, and he talks about their childhood and their father's role and the impact that it had on them. And he, and he finds that looking back over 13 major historical rejectors of a personal god, we find a weak, dead, or abusive father in every case. So that's what Vitz had to say. So he kind of looks at these 13 fathers um, and their sons and how they turned out, and he realized that there's a big difference, right? Like when somebody has a good influence in their life. Now, that's not to say that this always works tightly, but those are some pretty compelling names right there, right? So the major factors involved uh, – you know, uh, in becoming an atheist, uh, for some would be the fact that uh, they couldn't even imagine that there would be a compassionate God because they were so wounded by their father. I would, you know, invite people to turn to Faith of the Fatherless by Paul Vitz to look at more because he's got some good stuff that can guide them along the way that deals with this. But we're just kind of giving some of the reasons that people might give. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent point. I, I think one observation of that might be, again, and I didn't read his book, so correct me, is that those names that you listed off are some of the ones that are shaping this more atheistic thought. So maybe not the individual 100%. that's maybe yeah, sitting at his computer, but they're reading the works of Hume and Sartre and all this other thing, or all these other uh, people that had those influences, and then they're, you know, kind of taking that on. Any final comments you want to make um, before we wrap up today's episode? 
Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, if, if you didn't listen to last week, go ahead and listen to that. We just tried to put together 12 reasons that we might hear for why people don't believe in God. It could be one or more of those reasons. We might have missed one of those reasons. But the point wasn't to go and give an apologetic defense of each of these reasons. We're just trying to list some of the explanations that we've heard, and hopefully this can be helpful for you. Excellent. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Unapologetic Show. As I said earlier, we would invite you to head on over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash One Minute Apologist, and check out this episode and the other over 100 unapologetic episodes on the playlist. While you're there, subscribe and leave us a comment. Let us know if we missed anything in this episode. And with that, we will meet you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastors for Perspective, Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.